0: This week I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr Peter Wright, holistic gynecologist, fertility specialist and founder of Vera Women's Wellness in Brisbane, Queensland. Dr Wright is deeply committed to the holistic treatment of women's health issues from PCOS and endometriosis to hypothalamic amenorrhea and fertility. It's a level of commitment that absolutely shines through in her voice and the ease in which she can explain very complex processes and conditions. In this interview, Dr. Wright and I discuss the phases of the menstrual cycle, as well as the importance of ovulation, which really is the hero of the cycle. She explains how hypothalamic amenorrhea is not a dysfunction, but rather the body's innate and correct response to an environment not conducive to making a baby. Though a healthy menstrual cycle is not just about making babies. Dr. Wright also explains PCOS, and how this may sometimes be confused for hypothalamic amenorrhea, but how important it is to be clear on any confusion before the correct and most appropriate treatment strategy can be applied. I can't wait for you to hear this episode with Dr. Wright and I'd love to know if you'd like to hear from her again on the show. So enjoy this interview. Hi, Peter. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I feel like we were meant to cross each other's paths um, this summer at the yoga studio. So thank you for being here.
1: No problems. I'm glad it's finally happening. Um, I know. I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah, well, this is a topic that I've been really passionate
0: about sharing on um, over about the last year or so, because I just have more and more um, women or let's say young women coming to me with just these big question marks over, you know, um, why haven't I got my period? Where has it gone? And so that's what I want to talk to you talk with you about today, and um, one of the um, you know one of the possible drivers for amenorrhea, which is hypothalamic amenorrhea. So we'll break that down in this chat, but I just wanted to give you the space to maybe um, introduce listeners to you, your background and and what brought you to um, opening up Vera Women's Clinic, which is an incredible facility in Brisbane.
1: Um, yeah, so I'm a, trained as a gynecologist obstetrician. Um, I trained in Melbourne, actually, at Monash, you to do my, my undergrad medical school training and then um, moved around a bit and finally ended up here. Um, and as I started out in private practice, even actually still while I was doing public um, gynecology, I just, with women who I was seeing with hormonal problems, like polycystic ovarian syndrome and ovulatory issues um, in general, it's probably a better term for PCOS anyway, Um, and things like endometriosis and menopause and all of those things, I found as I had more time to uh, see women, I began to realise that my training was just really, the like didn't even scratch the surface when it came to... whole of women's health Um, and then when I realized that it was kind of like this big you know I don't know like a a curtain was um, like something was revealed Mm -hmm. I suppose that I could never not see and that was that women's reproductive system our you know uterus our ovaries our hormones are not independent of the rest of the health of the rest of our bodies Mm -hmm. that they are an integral part of the health of our whole bodies. Um, And that includes, you know, what we eat, um, stress, sleep, um, you know, a whole host of factors that my training didn't equip me with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went in search of um, some more teaching and and helping me to understand how our female bodies were, you know, this, this, this integrative whole. Um, So I just became more and more obsessed and passionate um, until I um, was seeing patients for long periods of time, always running over because I realised I couldn't go back to seeing women the way I was before, the way I was taught. I couldn't just ask them about their periods and then nothing about the health of the rest of their bodies because it was all so linked Mm -hmm. and if if I didn't, Um, recognise the health of the rest of their bodies and what was going on for them in the rest of their lives. I was missing this huge part of the story. I was unable to get to the root cause and I was doing them a disservice and I wanted to provide the best care to women that I could. And I was so sick of the way often uh, conventional Western medicine just deals with the problem, which is often a symptom of an underlying cause Mm -hmm. and then like fixes the symptom but the underlying root cause is still there and then women end up with potentially a whole host of side effects from the drug that we use or the surgery that we use um they have even less understanding of their own bodies and they often feel quite powerless and in the worst cases um often feel quite traumatized by that kind of care Mm -hmm. so um yeah, so after all of that, I decided that I wanted to I do things differently and the kind of pinnacle of doing that was opening my own clinic um, where I could actually provide the adequate time that was needed to hear women's whole stories um, and explore the uh, all of the things that were causing, were the root cause of their issues and doing that in an environment that was... Um, integrated with other women's health practitioners such as um, really amazing dietitians and nutritionists, physiotherapists for pelvic floor health, um, a psychologist, um, a Chinese medicine and acupuncture specialist, um, uh, a, a naturopath um, and a like-minded gynecologist who see women as a whole. So mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to be where I am at the moment. It's been really exciting and wonderful to be able to create this this space for women. Yeah,
0: it sounds incredible. And I think just hearing your story to me, you know, um, obviously you had to put a bit of a bit of ego aside when you decided that you know your medical degree wasn't enough to equip you to treat women in the way that you wanted. Like it wasn't the whole picture. And I think that takes a lot to sort of put your hand up and acknowledge that you want to. Learn more and treat slightly differently to the way that you've been taught in a, in a in a medical degree, and also a huge blessing for women. You know, huge blessing to the women of Brisbane who have access to that sort of support because I know from working with women who are looking to understand how their body is integrated with their, their reproductive organs and systems and hormones is you know, there are roadblocks when they go and see their general practitioner who is, you know, just looking at a, at a, a, like, you know, a a solution, a symptom resolution, rather than looking at the underlying driving cause. And then, you know, I'm working with my clients trying to do that, but it would be so much nicer if there was this cohesive approach with, you know, the doctor, the nutritionist uh, and, and, or, you know, the naturopath, the TCM, the physiotherapist. So, I think it's incredible what you've started and and why I I so much wanted to to have you um, on the show. So hypothalamic amenorrhea is probably the thing that we got started talking about straight away um, when I met you a couple of months ago and the topic of this conversation, it's a big, it's a mouthful. Can you just, in in your words, describe what hypothalamic amenorrhea is um, for those that may not have heard of it before?
1: Yeah, I think I'll first, I'll try not to talk the ear off about things, but I think the first thing to understand is for women, often when women come to see me, they have like, you know, a very rudimentary um, understanding of what's happening in the body in terms of our hormones and our menstrual cycle, because we kind of learn as teenagers about like you have your period here, this is how you use a pad or a tampon or um and it's you know how to deal with the period but not the whole cycle um, concept of the menstrual cycle and You know, the the concept of the menstrual cycle, we only get a period because we generally, because we ovulate, and ovulation is like the main event. And that's what I think we should be talking more about. So understanding ovulation is super important. And then I guess um, from there I can talk about hypothalamic amenorrhea. So if you imagine the way I explain it to the women who come to see me is that if you imagine the body... um, has like a ceo um and that ceo lives in our brain and it's called the hypothalamus okay so it's like the boss of all the hormones in our body um we have a second in charge and that second in charge is called the pituitary gland and it's another gland in our brain that's just just a little bit below the hypothalamus and um what happens is if our bodies are working perfectly so If we have, if our bodies sense that we're safe, so this is our hypothalamus, our CEO's job is to sense that we're, to make sure we're safe and that reproduction or ovulation can go ahead because ovulation takes a lot of energy. And it also, if it all goes well, it can result in pregnancy, which takes an enormous amount of energy. So it's really, really important that it's a really important job for our hypothalamus to assess are we in a safe place or a dangerous place? Can we afford to ovulate and therefore have the possibility of having a baby this month? So the hypothalamus is super clever. So if everything's going well, the hypothalamus says, yep, yeah, um, my person is well-fed, it's not under too much stress, there's enough body fat, I'm going to send message to the second in charge, the pituitary gland, who will send messages down to our ovaries and those hormonal messages tell our ovaries to start maturing one of the follicles that we have in our ovaries um, that we've had since since we were embryos. And then as that follicle matures, it makes oestrogen. Oestrogen does a whole host of things in our body, which we can talk about later, but in terms of the menstrual cycle, it helps to thicken the lining of the uterus um, to make a nice, comfortable nest for a baby to implant when we get a nice beautiful mature follicle that's about ready to release that egg um, we have a high estrogen level and that's mid-cycle and that high estrogen level feeds back to our brain and then says hey there's a nice big follicle and then our brain sends another message down to our ovaries to cause ovulation and then our egg pops out floats off down our fallopian tube hopes to meet up with a sperm mm-hmm. if that- doesn't happen, the old follicle dies and then our hormone levels fall and we um, have a period about two weeks after ovulation. So it's driven generally by our brain. Okay. So hypothalamic amenorrhea just means it's. Caused by our hypothalamus going on strike. Amenorrhea means no periods, and and hypothalamus we've just talked about. So it means no periods, and the cause of the no periods is that the hypothalamus is saying no, I'm not going to ovulate, not going to, not going to send the signals that causes ovulation this month. And often people talk about it as a dysfunctional thing, like it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's a problem for the women who come to see us about it. But when we think about it, it's actually our Hypothalamus doing its job correctly. Mm. It's saying, "Okay, those conditions aren't right. There's something amiss." So often, those things can be um, uh, energy deficit. So a woman might not be eating enough for the amount of exercise she's doing. Um, doing too much exercise, so too much physical stress on the body. So our stress hormones can turn those um, signals off at the level of the hypothalamus. It can be emotional stress, so a huge amount of emotion or stress about exams, work, relationship, et cetera, um, can cause the hypothalamus to stop sending those messages to the ovaries. Um, it can be lack of sleep. It can be exposure to light and disruption to our circadian rhythm, um, so shift work and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, it can sometimes be things like um, having. Uh, You know, I suppose having a high prolactin doesn't really fit into the hypothalamic amenorrhea. It's to do with your pituitary gland, but that's something else you would want to rule out if your doctor was um, thinking that you had hypothalamic amenorrhea. But basically it's where your hypothalamus, your CEO, says conditions aren't right to ovulate or have a baby and it's protecting you. So it's a protective mechanism. So it's actually your body doing the right thing. It's not about your body. It's about the environment that your body is in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And um, I, I actually use similar terminology to describe it—that HA or that hypothalamic amenorrhea—is the body doing innately what it should in a time of stress or or lack of, um, you know, nutrients, carbohydrates, energy, um, safety, that sort of thing. Um, whereas a condition like PCOS, which we might go into a little bit as well if it doesn't open up too much of a can of worms, um, mm-hmm. which I think there's there's overlap in the symptoms of the two, mm-hmm. so that the, the diagnosis can sometimes go a little bit um, go a little bit wrong. But in a case of PCOS, for example, it, it actually is some dysfunction and um, like hormone hormone dysfunction, and that's that's a big difference between the two. Um. I guess another one of the drivers that I don't know if you come across a lot in clinic, but I do because I uh, I work a lot in lower carbohydrate nutrition is that, and also plant-based nutrition, which can be an, a, a yeah. risk factor or an issue, but people eating too few carbohydrates and that also yeah. having an impact on insulin levels, which can impact that messaging um, to the hypothalamus.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right, because the way I've explained it is simplistic, but the <laughs> of the not enough food, not enough of the right type of food. It comes from our insulin levels, from another hormone called leptin and another hormone called ghrelin. So the, the, that's the way the hypothalamus can get those signals from the body that our nutrition isn't right. And, for example, I know so plant-based diets are becoming more popular and intermittent fasting and low-carb diets as well. And there's a lot of um, research on how they can improve health, imp- weight loss, et cetera, but most of them have been done on men and women who are postmenopausal. And there's a lot of like at least anecdotal evidence in the pe- women that I see that really low-carb diets or um, intermittent fasting with a prolonged fasting window um. Or a, or a keto diet mm-hmm. can have an adverse effect on um, women's menstrual cycles because we do need um, some carbs and we do need fat in our bodies because it's a um, you know we we need that especially if we're going to be getting pregnant and if we don't have that those signals and especially even body fat um, is something that will turn off the the menstrual cycle as well and women don't understand this especially when I see a lot of women who come and they're doing say figure competitions and they're really restricting their 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 diets and their calories and they're trying to get this super low body fat but most women and it's different for everybody it's you know everyone has a unique Uh, situation, but many women who have a body fat percentage less than 20% will have ovulatory dysfunction. So um, that hypothalamus, hypothalamic ovarian axis will be disturbed. Mm
0: -hmm. 20%. Okay. Um, And you've just, you know, you just, you just touched on a, a number of things that I often see women coming into clinic doing, you know, intermittent fasting without necessarily it being a prescription that I've made a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet, and um and then similarly I, I have clients who perhaps are doing those things, oh, actually not not quite doing those things yet, but I have clients who come in and they've been told by their doctor that they have polycystic ovarian syndrome, and that's the reason why they have an, an absent menstrual cycle. But mm. um when I look at these women and their histories, I'm seeing eating disorder, I'm de- I'm seeing a lot of exercise. Uh, I'm not seeing signs of testosterone dominance in their bloods. And, you know, then we've got to do more digging and I'll get to the point here. And the point is that, you know, that intermittent fasting or that ketogenic diet, that low carbohydrate approach might actually be helpful in some cases of amenorrhea where perhaps it's driven by testosterone um, dominance, um, like a classic case of PCOS, Um, which means we've got to get the diagnosis really clear before we can start using sort of holistic treatments to to treat the the lack of, of period. So in hypothalamic amenorrhea, firstly, what are the risk factors and then what would you be looking for to help make a diagnosis of that as being a cause of a lack of ovulation and menstrual cycle?
1: Yes, that's a really good um, question. So first of all, I find that the way that we need to start thinking about this is is when women are presenting with irregular or missing periods, that we need to, instead of first of all going for, okay, this is PCOS, which I feel like often GPs are much happier to diagnose um, and often incorrectly, um, is we need to just say, okay, this woman has ovulatory dysfunction, so there's a problem with ovulation. And we need to then figure out what is the driver of that. And that might be PCOS, it might be a hypothalamic amenorrhea, but even if it is that classic PCOS, what is the cause of that mm-hmm. picture? And looking at the root cause, because I think too often um, at least, you know, for the vast majority of women who get diagnosed with that, mm-hmm. they just get told this is what you have and mm-hmm. the the pill, which as we both know, it doesn't fix anything it just gives end period and then women think everything's okay and they've had no chance to address the underlying issue or get their um the answers that they needed to understand their bodies Mm -hmm. so the first thing i would be doing i guess risk factors for hypothalamic amenorrhea are definitely women with an eating disorder so um calorie restriction is one of the most you know likely ones Um, so anorexia or bulimia um uh over exercise for sure um even just a mindset of and and, and even not just a, a disorder but even orthorexia or just a real focus on restricted eating or clean eating um, like I said the typical person might be someone who's feels fit and healthy and well and is eating um regularly but is training a lot and trying to have a lower body fat percentage than what is healthy for us as if we want to have our reproductive system to be working. Um, So all of those things are risk risk factors. The things that I would be doing as a first thing are looking for um, in terms of differentiating between PC and HA I think the first thing is to say, okay, well, what do you need for a diagnosis of PCOS? And that is because the thing, so I just might talk about that quickly. Yeah, yeah. But that requires at least according to the Rotterdam criteria, so you need to have two out of three of the following things. One, irregular or missing periods. Two, um, evidence of polycystic ovaries on ultrasound and Often that's really confusing for women because they think they've got ovarian cysts, but really it's just baby follicles that haven't been stimulated correctly to grow into mature follicles and hence ovulate, okay? Mm. And three, evidence of high testosterone either clinically, so with symptoms like um, bad acne or Um, facial hair or male pattern um, hair loss even, Um, and you need to have two out of three of those things. I think the trouble with them over-diagnosis or misdiagnosis is that there's another line at the end of that, which is and the exclusion of other conditions, okay? So I would always be saying, because someone with hypothalamic amenorrhea could have the appearance of polycystic ovaries, because that is one of the least sensitive markers, because it can also be a, a marker of um, developing um, brain ovary axis. So, about seventy percent of young women will have that appearance on their ovaries of their ovaries on ultrasound um, if they're within that eight years of getting their first period, and that's a normal sign. So. It's not a very specific marker. Um, women who've been on the pill and just come off it, they might have that picture as well. So if you've gone with no periods and you've got that on ultrasound, even if you have no testo, no signs of high testosterone, this is where many of those women are getting that diagnosis of PCOS. Mm-hmm. And then with the assumption that most PCOS is due to high insulin, getting told to do more exercise mm-hmm. and, and do- <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. just it- cycle so the one thing I would do is okay we need to think about the context as well and incredibly importantly so are those other things present that we talked about like the caloric restriction, fasting exercise stress etc I would then do an ultrasound um, I would be looking at sorry I'd be looking at body fat um, percentage or weight although that's not always. Um, incredibly helpful so women can have a normal BMI and still have hypothalamic amenorrhea and I think that that's a myth that should be dis- dispelled you're doing um, it now <laughs> yeah it should I am because mm-hmm. you can still have a normal BMI but over exercising and consuming inadequate calories um, and then your body's still getting the signal that it's not safe um, so I would do but I would check those things I would be doing a uh, an ultrasound and not as I said like I don't not that fussed about the appearance of the ovaries but I am um, I think that looking at the endometrial thickness is important so the endometrial thickness is the lining of the uterus yeah. and it's as I mentioned before it gets thicker in with exposure to estrogen. And if I'm looking at a person who has no periods or really scant periods um, and she might have PCO, polycystic ovaries and ultrasound, but she has a two-millimeter really thin endometrium that shows me that her estrogen is really low and and a blood test with low estrogen, that's going to be looking more like hypothalamic amenorrhea rather than PCOS Mm -hmm. because women with PCOS typically have higher estrogen. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can tend to have a sort of more normal to thicker endometrium. Um, I would also be looking at blood tests. So I'd be looking at the brain hormones that we talked about. So LH and FSH, they're the signals that are from our second in charge, the pituitary gland, um, to our ovaries. And women with like really typical HA will have low LH and FSH, but it can also be normal. Okay, so it can be normal levels. Um, And then often you see a low estrogen. So we're looking at our our ovarian hormones, so looking at estrogen, looking at progesterone and looking at um, our testosterones. And there's a few other. So testosterone, free testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin um, and a free androgen index. Mm -hmm. And in typical hypothalamic amenorrhea, you would expect the estrogen to be low, um, and even if the LH and FSH are in a normal range, it's still inappropriately low for having a low low estrogen. If that makes sense, because if our ovaries are not producing estrogen, our brains should be producing more FSH LH. Um, and then I'd be looking at high, if are there signs of high testosterone on blood tests, um, and so that would be the testosterone and the free testosterone. I would be looking at sex hormone binding globulin. Often that's low in women who have um, typical PCOS, mm-hmm. and it can be high in women who are over-exercising um, and calorie restricting, and it can also be high in women who are on the pill. Um, I would also look at our androgens from our adrenal glands. So there's one called DHEA s and also one called 17ohp and i'd be looking at those um, sometimes dhs can be high and all of the other things all of the ovarian hormones can be low and that can drive a uh, adrenal sort of uh, that can that can show an adrenally driven pcos yeah. again and differentiate from from hypothalamic amenorrhea yeah. And then the other thing I would definitely do and I do for anybody with ovulatory dysfunction is an insulin, fasting insulin test. Okay. Because that's looking for insulin resistance, which is in typical PCOS, um, you know, about 80% of the time it's often the driver for that um, PCOS picture. And so if I've got someone who has a low insulin, low fasting insulin, low normal um, LH, FSH, low estradiol, thin endometrium, and then all of those other um, signs on history, that would be more in with hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. And then prescription is very different to, uh, you know, caloric restriction and more exercise. It's completely the opposite.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Now, a lot of those tests you mentioned were blood tests, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, aside from the ultrasound, Um, Do you usually use only um, bloods to assess hormones? I'm just interested because so many different thoughts on doing, you know, dried urine versus salivary for things like progesterone and estrogen and DHEA. So I'm just interested to know whether you're quite happy using serum or if you sometimes use other techniques for measuring those hormones.
1: No, I normally use serum because the um but of course it has to be timed i mean it's important really only if you're looking for progesterone so i guess the one thing that i didn't say when i was talking about the menstrual cycle was after you release your egg then the old follicle makes progesterone and so the only way you make progesterone is by ovulating and um progesterone is important for receptivity to help the lining of the uterus um implant you know to facilitate implantation of an embryo, um, but it's also important for a lot of other things. Um, and if you're not ovulating, you're not making progesterone and that can be for what it, from whatever cause. But to test to see if you're ovulating, obviously you want a timed test, so that's usually seven days. You usually have to have a cycle and so then you would do it seven days before your predicted cycle time. And in terms of the um, salivary versus u- dried urine versus blood, My experience is more with serum and my understanding is that that's generally more accurate. I do use um, salivary testing sometimes just to look at um, cortisol. If I'm looking at cortisol over the course of a day, I use salivary um, tests, but otherwise I would use serum. Okay. Now, one of the other questions, and
0: I don't know if you're going to be be able to answer this because it's not so so much a technical one, but one of the the things that can be really challenging for women, unless they're seeing like an incredible holistic doctor like you, is that in order to get access to this testing, um, well, they can't. They can't access this testing via their general practitioner, um, even though they might be working with me, the nutritionist who's suggesting, you know, you know, please have FSH and LH assessed, get your fasting insulin, you know, get all those hormones, there can be roadblocks because the general practitioner does not see the need for that testing to be done. Um,
1: and I need to find a doctor who will do who will help them. They need yeah. to go in the doctor and say, my period is missing or irregular. I've got ovulatory dysfunction. I want to know why, and um, these are the tests that I need to, that I want to have done. If the doctor doesn't recommend that, I mean, most GPs would 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 recommend a hormone profile at the very least. Insulin resist insulin fasting insulin tests They might not do, but it's. Mm-hmm. I find that it's a really good thing to to differentiate between PCOS and HA. Mm-hmm. Um, But, I mean, it's usually pretty obvious to me if someone comes in with a story. Like there are a few people that it's less, but it's a bit on the borderline and there are some women who kind of swing between HA and PCOS as well, depending on the environment, and that's um, a bit more complicated. But mostly it's pretty obvious to me, probably as it is to you, when women are coming in who have HA as opposed to PCOS. And I think the other thing is often when we think about hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, I think many times GPs are like, "Oh well, you just have an irregular cycle. Like they might have a 50-day cycle versus just no period at all." But it's a continuum. It's like your, it's like your brain is um, becoming. It's sort of kind of shutting down. Often it doesn't shut down all of a sudden, and you, it's you know you have no period, but can still. Be, um, it can still show up as really prolonged cycles as well as just no period for six months. Yeah. and the,
0: I had a client come to me the other week, other week who said uh, her doctor said to them, oh, that's good because periods are annoying anyway, so you don't want them.
1: Uh, and There's no understanding, though, of the fact that period, and this is like if I could get one thing into the heads of every woman who's listening to this. It's not about the period. Yeah. It's about the fact that periods happen because of ovulation. Yeah. Ovulation in women is how we make our hormones. And I talked a little bit about estrogen and progesterone and their role in reproduction and in our uterine um, environment. But estrogen is, like, insanely important for... We have estrogen and progesterone receptors in every part of our body. Um, so having estrogen too is important for our bone health without it and if you have prolonged times of not having a period you're at higher risk of having osteoporosis so for some of these women that we see who are really into their fitness and want to be strong you know they they might have you know a um, low bone density if you measured that and often if I have someone who comes in with this kind of story and a prolonged period of time with no periods I would do a DEXA scan to check for their bone density because um, we really need oestrogen for our bones. We need it for our brain. It's important for memory. It decreases anxiety. It helps with mood. It helps with energy. It's important for our cardiovascular health. Often women who've had no periods and low estradiol will come in and have a high cholesterol because e- having no oestrogen um, increases our cholesterol. It's not good for our vascular health. So, um, What else is good for? The other thing for women who are into sport and exercise is that estrogen is a, sorry, I'm getting excited now. (laughs) You can tell, I love it. It, It's an anabolic steroid, so it helps to build muscle. Um, So, you know, without it, then we're not building as much muscle. Um, So it's really important. And progesterone also is great for our bones. It's important for, it's an anti-testosterone-like hormone, so it helps to keep our hair thick. It helps to keep our skin clear. It helps with anxiety. So it um, increases something in our brain called GABA, which is released when we drink a glass of wine, for example, mm-hmm. but it's really healthier. Um, so it's anti-anxiety. It helps us sleep. Um, so that's really important. And testosterone, we only have a little bit of testosterone, but our ovaries make testosterone and that's important for libido. And for um, energy as well, and confidence. And the other thing I didn't forgot to mention with estrogen is also for our vaginal and vulval health, because our vulva and our vagina are littered within with estrogen receptors. And without it, and in women, you've probably seen who have like no periods for a long time, and they have very really low estrogen. They'll often also have, you know, yes, no libido, um, but also painful sex because. Um, it can cause like vaginal atrophy, a bit like what happens postmenopausally when women have no estrogen. So the the comment about periods are annoying just really gets me because mm-hmm. our, because we ovulate and that makes our hormones, which is not only a sign of health. so if we're having a regular period, it shows that you know that fertility is a sign of our underlying health but it's also health giving in all of those benefits of all of those amazing hormones. Yeah, I think if, um, you know, we've obviously got, we often have people looking for that, That silver
0: bullet, right? Like that Mm -hmm. one thing that will help them to feel better and more like themselves. And I think for a lot of people listening, they'll be realizing, oh my God, you know, I've got these hormones within me that innately have the capacity to help me to feel less anxious, feel better and have more energy, be able to build the muscle. And so I think how you've just described it is a really great way of just honing in on the fact that our female reproductive hormones are so much more than just trying to make a baby and Um, we all need to embrace that women
1: positions
0: um, embrace that and support it
1: so and you can also train around your menstrual cycle if you know about that as well so like I think if you're one of these women who are an athlete or you're losing a your period because of that it's important that you have people in your team that understand that you're not just a small man that our physiology is different that we require Um, different nutrition advice and we require different training according to different parts of our cycle and that having that optimal health includes having an optimal having optimal hormones and an optimal menstrual cycle
0: yeah it's that report card it's that report card of of how our our body and our um, endocrine system is functioning beneath the surface when when you have got clear on that diagnosis of ha not to take away all of um you know your 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 best care secrets but what would be i guess a couple of the go-tos that you'd start talking to that woman about you know with regards to trying to claw that that cycle back
1: so i think that first of all the most important thing is to come at this not just with a prescription of these are the things you need to do because if it was that easy it would be easy right but it's not anyone any woman who has dealt with an eating disorder or concerns about their body image or um, restrictive eating and excessive exercise understands that it's a mindset and if they could just flick a switch and just do these things that they know are probably healthy for their bodies, they would, but it's not that easy. And oftentimes there might be underlying traumas. There might be underlying beliefs about themselves um, and their body that are in deep and ingrained. And they can't just have like, okay, you got to eat this many. If I told someone just without that understanding, without that empathy, without support, okay, you've got to eat 2000 calories a day and you've got to stop going to CrossFit six days a week. Mm. They basically want to punch me in the face or feel like incredibly anxious. Like that is a really scary thing to say to someone who might be in that restricted eating mindset. So right. Yeah. I think that it's incredibly important if you're a Health practitioner, or if you're seeing somebody, um, that you pick somebody who is really understands that. So first of all, I would approach it really gently. I would explain what's happening in their bodies. I would explain that their bodies are actually doing the right thing for the environment that 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 they're in. I would explain that it doesn't that their bodies need to have. I kind of talk about it like the breaks are on their hypothalamus, and you need to take some of those breaks off. And oftentimes, it might be you know, calorie restriction, you know, could be low carb, could be keto, could be fasting, could be the excessive exercising, then stress, then like like there could be a few things. Mm. Often there are also women who might have been on the pill for heaps of years and so there's actually their, their reproductive system is still developing as well, so that's thrown in there. Yeah. Um, there's quite a lot of things and so I would be saying, look, If it was as easy as just eat more calories, do less exercise, um, everyone would be fine. But I would make sure that they have adequate support around them to help them with the mental aspects of that. So first of all, engaging uh, their their team if they're an elite athlete or they've got a, you know, a trainer or a dietitian already. A psychologist for some women is really, really important. I would then talk about, you know, a general guide with how, with how much they need to eat. Um, so most women, regardless of how tall they are, need at least 2000 calories a day. And it will increase depending on how tall you are and how much exercise you do. And I think that shocks a lot of women because they think that it's much less than that. So I would, first of all, talk to them about that. There's a really great book that I always recommend to pe- to women called um, No Period, Now What? It's oh, yes. really by Nicola Rinaldi um, and it's really comprehensive. It goes through a lot of the stuff we've talked about and it also is very mindful about the mind-spirit piece as well um, and it's got a lot of women, other women's stories in it so you don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I would then talk about cutting back on exercise. So I would be normally saying reducing HIIT training and strenuous exercise and focus on gentle exercise like walking or yoga. Um, I would be talking about meditation and other ways to reduce the, the sympathetic nervous system and reduce our cortisol. So doing breath work, mindfulness, meditation, getting enough sleep, um, and then if these women are working with a dietitian or a nutritionist already um, to, to talk to their that person about being on the same page, if they're not, sometimes getting um, them linked in with a dietitian or a nutritionist who can help them to to support them on changing their diet and help them to understand what their body needs. Um, as well as a psychologist or an exercise physiologist as well can be really helpful in that kind of reducing the stress of exercise and supporting them on that. And I always say this is not a forever thing. You'll be able to do your HIIT training or your marathon training or whatever again but you need to give your body a chance to get back into balance and feel safe Mm -hmm. and then once it's got there then you can introduce things more slowly and it's almost like getting your body to learn to trust you Mm -hmm. that it can trust you again and if you're then marathon training but you're eating adequately um, and your cycle has returned and your weight has returned then then you'll you may still be able to do the exercise that you were doing before but not have your cycle disappear. And if it disappears, then you know something's wrong and you need to you need to tweak it, right? Yeah. You use it as a sign, a biomarker. Yeah. I love that you talked about the team
0: because I think, yeah, for 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 girls, women, um, just being told to exercise less and to eat more. be really daunting and scary and you know they they may not have the tools to even be able to make those changes you know they don't have the the strategies or the self-love to to even do that so i really love those suggestions um you've been a wealth of knowledge i could probably keep talking to you about a zillion other things so i might invite you back for a um another session another interview but thank you so much for for joining for this chat I thought I might just give you the space if there's anything else that you want to share with listeners, um, what you're working on at the moment or how they can find you, feel free to, to share that.
1: Can I just say one more thing about yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, as you said, identifying the underlying driver for their calorie restriction, their anxiety, you know, the, the confidence issues and working on that is, I'm so passionate about. Mm. That's that whole person approach. Um, and I would also say meeting women where they are. So if you say all of that and then women are unable to do that, instead of going on the pill, because oestrogen, obviously replacing oestrogen is really important and you don't want to have prolonged periods of no oestrogen. And, and as you said, some women can feel so daunted that they aren't able to do any of it, so they might run away from healthcare for practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, is that sometimes you can give, and I do give um, almost like a harm minimization approach, a bit of bi- body-identical oestrogen and progesterone that doesn't turn off their natural cycle like the pill does or suppress it, um, but it just helps to replace that oestrogen to give them some of the benefits of oestrogen again. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I don't often have to do that for very long, especially, I guess, because of the way that you we talk about it. But that's something if you're feeling, if you're in a place where you can't tackle the other stuff at the moment or you want to do it simultaneously, that's something that can make you feel a bit better reduce some of the negative consequences of low estrogen um you're working on things and that's much better than it's much more physiological than doing than putting women on the pill on the pill so that would be like a body identical
0: estrogen um and essentially like a daily dose until yeah.
1: so the cycle is regulated yeah there are different ways you can give it um and you often give somebody identical progesterone to intermittently as well to protect the endometrium. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's something I sometimes do as well. So okay. and also then the last thing I would say is like, I've had this conversation with so many women in front of me in my office and they all like a little bit want to punch me in the face <laughs> when I to do these things. But, um, I've had like, Probably without fail, women come back and their cycles return and it's just the most wonderful thing when that happens to see women's confidence in their body grow and then that feedback spurs them on and they also start to feel better in themselves. And the number of women, the most motivated women who come to see me are women who are wanting to conceive. And I've had women like that who I've said, look, these are the changes you need to make, let's come and see let's let's and we check in so it's not like you can never do a hit workout ever again mm-hmm. let's just slow everything down for three months and see how things go and with the understanding that the time it takes for a tinsy baby follicle to reach the time where it ovulates is about three months mm-hmm. so I would say see them in about three or four months and I would often see these women and they say oh, yeah I hate you I have put on weight because you've got to be prepared to put on weight and remember that that's a good thing because yeah. your body Obviously, needing that extra weight to function properly. Um, and they come and they're like, and I haven't got a period. So obviously, it's not working. And I'm just so frustrated. And we do an ultrasound and I think that's, you can do bloods, you can do an ultrasound. And like so more times than I can count, I've had women jump up on the bed to find like either one, we're looking at a beautiful uterus with a beautiful thick lining and a beautiful ovarian follicle that looks like they've just or about to ovulate. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Like that's just the best thing for women to be able to then see their bodies working mm-hmm. in real time. Or a few times they've... Um, had like a little tiny pregnancy sac. The reason they haven't got their period wow. is because they ovulated and they're pregnant. Wow! And so your body is resilient, and your body is got amazing innate wisdom. And it's just about changing the environment and addressing the underlying things, and remembering that ovulation is a sign of health. And it's a, it's about your whole body system. Mm. Um, I'm working on tons of things. Too many to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Um, VeraWomen'sWellness.com.au. Uh, I'm going to actually have a um, a course on the website probably in the next month, and it's called Unlocking the Power of Your Cycle. And it's like a course and an audio book, and it's all about the cycle, all about everything that I've talked about, and having the uh, importance of having a health, healthy hormones and a healthy menstrual cycle.
0: Amazing. If that's um, it may not be quite live yet when this episode goes to air, but I'll absolutely link to it in the show notes so people can go there and keep an eye out from it um, when they can access um, that course. But incredible talking to you. Thank you so much, Peter. I know you've got a really full schedule. So thank you very much for being here
1: and um, I hope to talk to you again soon. No problem. I'm happy that I've got the opportunity to talk about it. It's my passion. Thank you.
0: Have you been thinking about taking a more plant-based approach to your nutrition for the sake of your health? Or are you already plant-based and in need of further education, guidance, and mealtime inspiration? Well, if the answers are yes or yes, I think you would love Plant-Based Kickstarter. It's a five-week online program that I developed with the health-conscious plant-based eater in mind. It includes one week of education, four weeks of meal planning, and weekly live seminars with me. I'm Ellie, I have a bachelor's degree in health science, majoring in exercise science and nutrition. I'm now a holistic nutritionist with a love of yoga, I'm a dog mum and I'm a runner. And I have a particular interest in supporting digestive health, hormone balance and metabolic health for the active and or plant-based female in completing plant-based kickstarter you can expect improved digestion greater confidence around your food choices an understanding of how to prepare for and maintain the optimal plant-based diet improved appetite control and in many cases fat loss i would love for you to check it out at nutritionally.com forward slash plant-based kickstarter the next course begins february 28th and registrations open very soon